Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in this wine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by Johnsonville Foods, Swine Robotics, SwineWeb.com, and Innovative Heating, the manufacturers of Hoghearth. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name's Matthew Rhoda, your host for today's episode. Today, we're going to talk about building and managing a diverse workforce with Diane Bettine. Thank you for joining us today, Diane. Uh, thank you for having me, Matthew. So you are a HR manager and controller for LB Pork, and you have given a talk about a month ago at Iowa Swine Day, which talked about all the opportunities and challenges of creating a workforce with a a great amount of diversity. So I'm excited to share that because as people look to build stronger teams, they're looking in different places than what we've had to in the past. And there's a lot of opportunity out there. And I think you're going to be able to give a little bit of advice and guidance to those who are either doing it and struggling or are doing it and uh, just getting started or not doing it at all. So if you could give a little bit of a background on yourself and how you got involved with this industry, that would be great. Okay. Well, I've kind of been around for a long time when it comes to the industry. Um, My husband and I had a Pharaoh to finish hog operation that um, I started in when we got married in 1982. He had started a couple years before that and uh, just kind of got got involved in industry organizations early on, um, was on the Minnesota Executive Board and was Minnesota president in 2002 of Minnesota Pork Producers Association and then uh, went on the uh, National Pork Board in uh, 2003 and served on that for for six years, and then also chaired the domestic marketing committee for um, National Pork Board and have served on various committees and am now on the labor security task force that MPPC has uh, currently. Um, I've uh, My husband and I stopped farrowing in 2016 and actually switched our barns over to um, a nursery barn for LB Pork, who I'm working for. I've been working with LB Pork since 2013. And really didn't have uh, any HR experience other than a little recruiting before that. And just kind of went in head first with uh, the international workers. And I've learned a lot along the way. And and so that's kind of why I do a little bit of speaking on it, because I started from the, the ground up myself. Sounds like you drank from a fire hose. <laughs> well, I like to learn new things. And I'm not generally afraid of taking on new tasks and, and, uh, yeah, drinking from the fire hose. And, you know, sometimes you figure it out and you get good at it. And sometimes you figure out that there's other people that are better and you turn it over to them. But, um, <laughs> I really enjoyed the, the working with the, the foreign workforce and learning about the visas and just wish it was a little more stable process. So, so what, before we get started here, what's something fun that most people might not know about you or that people that you work with might only know about you? Well, I'm kind of an open book kind of gal, but uh, 
I do have a lot of diverse interests. I'm huge into gardening. I'm a, I'm a master gardener. Completed that course during COVID, something I'd wanted to do for a long oh, cool. time and figured, well, while I'm stuck sitting in my house, I might as well do the online work, right? And so I do that with, there's a, another friend of mine that enjoys gardening and her and I kind of dove into the master gardener program together. And then I'm a, I'm a big foodie. Um, I always say chefs are my quarterbacks. So um, I, I like trying diverse food and traveling for food and, and uh, restaurants and chefs and all that. And, and then I also judge gymnastics and sell pampered chefs. And yeah, I don't let any grass grow, that's so to speak. <laughs> yeah, you sound pretty, pretty productive. Uh, what's, your, what's your favorite cuisine then if you're a, if you're a big foodie? Oh, man, I like it all. But, um, you know, I, I like sushi and raw oysters and those kind of things that you don't get near as much of in Southern Minnesota, but I like all cuisines. I haven't found many foods that I won't try at least. And, um, not many that I don't, don't like. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I, I find myself doing the same as I travel. There's, there's very little when you get, when you get the good version of it, that, uh, isn't really good, but Mm -hmm. If you could kind of dive in then, when, when did you start to build a multicultural team? What was that first experience and, and what was that like? Well, actually, LB Pork was real early in on doing the, the diverse workforce because uh, Lynn Becker, who's one of my bosses, in 1993, he was actually a J-1 trainee in Denmark for six months through the MAST program through the University of Minnesota. And so he had had a taste of it per- firsthand. So then when he came back to the full the farm full time and they were looking for workers, they thought, well, why not do the same? So they brought their first mass trainee in 1997, and that was from Denmark. And since then, well, now I have arriving tonight, I have the 155th foreign worker for LB Pork, which considering we're, you know, a medium sized operation, that's that's quite a lot to be able to say 155 workers and We've had like 22 countries, six continents. Don't think we'll ever get to seven. I don't know many pig farmers in Antarctica, but. Um, you might find some people wanting to get away from the cold though. Yeah, maybe to Minnesota <laughs> though. They, they yeah, might go they'll though. feel at home. They'll feel at home. <laughs> um, but yeah, we just had our first worker a couple of weeks ago arrive from Jamaica. That was a new country for us. So that's one of the things that's fun. And it kind of goes along with my, my food. Um, passion is, you know, I, I get to experience some of these workers that come, they, uh, they make their own cultural food and I get to learn about some of those and experience some of those right at home. So that's kind of fun. But yeah, so uh, you'll oh, get, you'll get some Jamaican jerk. Then yeah, you? that's what I'm hoping. That's oh. what I'm hoping. And I guess he knows how to cook. He tells me he knows how to cook. So I'm going to hold him to it. Uh, you better. Had, that's uh, good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I've had some great, you know, Filipino egg rolls and uh, um, Brazilian barbecue and feijoada and uh, Mexican tamales and and uh, chili relenos. And yeah, it's all good. Anyway, so when I came, um, I right away had to jump in and start learning how to bring these guys here. And at that time, we were doing mostly J1s. Um, NH2As and just a little bit of TN. So the uh, first people I brought were uh, J1s. And actually, three of the first J1s I worked with are still in the U.S. They came back to get their master's and doctorate degrees. 
And uh, we're having a Becker Century Farm Party on August 7th. And uh, those three of those will be up here and probably staying at my house over the weekend. So it's fun to be able to touch base back with them, even though it's been a long time ago. They're kind of like my first children, you know, first unofficial children. Yeah, you said that at the event, it sometimes feels like you're a mom of many. Yes, yes. I, it's one thing I've always said is, you know, I had someone ask me, um, you know, what's your favorite thing about having the, the foreign workers, the diverse wor- workforce and the J1s in particular, because they tend to be younger. And I said, well, I get to be mom. And then they said, well, what's the worst thing? And I said, I have to be mom <laughs> because sometimes you have to <laughs> deal with some issues you'd rather, you know, rather not deal with. But it's for the most part, it's it's a great experience. So when you're bringing, I guess, so let's walk through the steps then. So you got the step of the recruiting and then you have the re- the step of receiving and then onboarding and then kind of developing. What's the that first step of recruiting like? Well, you know, it depends on which visa you're working with. When it comes to the J-1s, um, that's a uh, State Department program. It's a cultural exchange program. It's for them to come here and, and learn about whatever industry it is they're coming to work in. And it's supposed to be about learning our culture and learning about that industry. So it's a, a state-run um, program in that you have to go through an agency. You can't just do it on your own. So you develop a training plan. Um, you can work very closely with, you know, whatever agency you're working with. I work mainly with MAST and then with uh, CAP out of, um, or CAIAP, they call it, out of Fergus Falls. MAST is out of the University of Minnesota. And uh, it depends, kind of depends on what country you're dealing with. You know, different agencies have better or worse connections in different countries. So that makes a difference sometimes on what agency they're going through. So you generally what you do is you just contact the agency and say, hey, I'm looking for this many workers to come um, approximately this time. And they send you applications. Now, um, we have a bit of an advantage in that we've had so many that our guys go back to their country and they tell their friends and then their friends want to come on a J-1. They contact me and say, hey, I got a friend that wants to come on J-1 and they want to come to Albuquerque." Port. So then I can just contact whichever agency they want to go through and say, okay, this young man is putting in an application and he wants to come to us. And so then it's more of a a direct pipeline instead of just picking an application and saying, oh, well, let's, let's give this guy a try. But what I do when with either case, I then get in contact with them and then I Skype with them. And there's a few things that I make sure I tell them you know, so that when they come, they understand that, okay, we're weaned to finish. You're not going to be working with sows. If that's something you want to learn, a different company would be better because um, our sow farms are managed by someone else. We just get the weaned pigs. I tell them they, they have to have a home country driver's license because when they come here, they'll have to drive. So I have, they can drive on their home country license for two months. So that gives me two months to get them their Minnesota license. Um, I tell them they will be living with other young men. Uh, so they have to be willing to play well with others in the house and, you know, and that they'll have to help with the cleaning and all of those types of things. I warn them about the Minnesota weather. Um, I tell them that they will be required to learn English because we're multicultural. We, 
we have different people that can translate for different languages, but my production managers, one of them's a Brazilian and his native language is Portuguese. The other one's from Ukraine. His native language is Ukrainian. So they don't necessarily communicate real well in Spanish. And since it's not a group of people working in one building, like it would be in a sow farm, um, it has to be more one-on-one -on -one communication. So they, they do and are expected to learn English which with the J1s, that's part of that cultural exchange anyway. Um, they should be really willing to that. It's, it's, there's a little bit more resistance to that with the, with the TNs that are coming from Mexico um, because it's a different circumstance. It's not that cultural exchange thing. They're coming just to work. But we have the same expectations for all of them. So we do the Skype interview, talk about all that, talk about when they'd want to come. Um, and generally, you know, we we accept most of who we interview, so to speak. And then it's just a matter of when they can get into their embassy and get the appointment. Um, so that's how the recruiting works for the J-1s. With the TNs, the recruiting is a little more difficult uh, because it, the J-1 or the, the TN is a NAFTA free trade, trade agreement visa. Um, and that means it has to be from Canada or Mexico. And they have to have a four-year degree or equivalent, which pretty much they have to have the four-year degree. Most of the TNs that I get have what's considered a veterinary degree in Mexico, closer to a more advanced animal science degree here. It's not considered a vet here, but they have to have that, um, that those credentials in order to come on a TN, some kind of credentials. And they have to come in targeted areas. And so finding them is more difficult. What's been working well for us lately is I have an employee um, that we've gotten a green card for that's from Mexico, and he's been doing some recruiting for me quite successfully. And I've worked with a few others in the past. Um, the actual TN process um, is not that difficult once you've found the, the person you want to bring. And so I do all of that paperwork in-house. Other people choose to go through attorneys for that paperwork and and that work, um, but I've I've found that I've been able to adapt to that doing that myself rather well. Um, the other visa we use limit on a limited basis is the H two A. H two A is the seasonal visa that maybe you've heard some about that. We're trying to get that made so it's usable for livestock um, because livestock is not seasonal. Um, we can't use that for for pig work, so we we can bring an H two A because we do the manure hauling in the fall and all the crops, you know, spring, summer, fall, all the crop work, and especially we use the H two A visa and that that manure crunch time because you know we got a lot of barns, so we got a lot of manure to move. So it's important to have someone you can trust and, and bring back for that. And it's, it's hard to find people that want to work seasonally. And so um, that's one of the reasons why the, J, the H2A works well for crops, but doesn't for livestock. We need a, a year-round workforce for livestock, and we are lobbying and asking uh, the legislature to change the H2A program so that we can bring them um, on a more long-term basis. 
Gotcha. So when, when you, when they show up, what's that process like? How do you help people feel welcome and, and set up to succeed? Um, well, the first thing they'll do is come see me and whether or not they have good English skills depends on whether I have someone come in, you know, with me to, to do translating. Um, and I go through all our paperwork and the handbook and I have a big long list of things I go through, which I always feel bad because, you know, it's really hard. Onboarding is hard for anybody because everything, so much gets thrown at you all at once. Well, consider that you're getting all this thrown at you and you're also in a different country and it's usually not your first language and you're kind of, you know, in culture shock because of, you know, and tired because you've just traveled how many thousand miles. So it's, it's kind of difficult, but we do, you know, talk to her. They're going into houses with other people that have been here a little longer. So we do talk to everybody, you know, about making sure you explain things to them and make them welcome and remind everybody that they need to be talking English. Um, So, you know, that, that's how it starts. And we've got a, we've got a real family atmosphere when it comes to our employees here, because so many don't have family of their own around we try and, and be that family and we don't hire anyone um, foreign or U.S. that's not open to cultural diversity because it, it just wouldn't it just wouldn't work here. So, you know, like our our uh, shop manager, he's been you know, he's a U.S. citizen. I've known him since he was in second grade, actually. But uh, he takes the guys out. He does an ice fishing day in February. And takes all the guys out on the ice and shows them how to how to ice fish. And to someone from South America or Mexico, or you know, the fact that you can walk out on the lake and drill a hole and catch fish is something that they would never think of of doing. So we have a lot of interaction with all our employees on making them feel welcome and and learn about the good things here in Minnesota. Yeah, I have a uh, a a really good friend and a, and a co-founder that's from Mexico. And the first time he saw all the little huts on top of the lake with all the people inside fishing, he's like, these people got to be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I personally kind of think they are a little crazy, but you know, I'm not a nice fisherman. So that's just me, but I, I really enjoy, I do go out there and, you know, the once a year that he does it with our guys, if, if I'm home, just because it's, it's fun to see them have that experience. That's for sure. the fun part of it for me. So once once they start to get incorporated into the normal workday, uh, what is that like? And when you approach training, knowing that there is a time horizon, how do you approach helping that person become competent and, and skilled in an area, knowing they're going to have to leave? It's planned turnover, and I'm, I'm really curious how you approach that. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. That's what I tell people because they're like, "Oh, well, you only have the J ones for a year," and it's like, "Yeah, but you know, we have them for a year, and and we get at least." you know, 10 months of good quality time out of them, which, you know, everybody who's been through the revolving door of trying to find workers here in the U.S. know that sometimes you're lucky if they make it the first week. Um, And then even if they do, you know, you get a lot of the no-shows and, oh, well, you know, I don't feel good today, but it's every other Monday, you know, or all of those kind of things that, you deal, and then some that just decide not to show up, you know, they're just all of a sudden you don't have a worker in that spot. 
So that's what I what I tell people is, yes, I still have a high turnover because of using the J1s, but it's planned to turnover. So I'm always planning to replace them and having someone show, you know, bringing a new one in, you know, a month before another one's leaving so you can have them trained. Um, the problem with with that, it, it, the first five years I was here, that worked really well. Um, the last three years, uh, three plus years, just the the visa unavailability and embassy issues and all of those things that COVID stuff. The um, it's just been real difficult to plan. So we went a full year through COVID where we couldn't get J ones, <clears throat> and that was that was hard for us to to change that track. Um, in, in place, we brought on in a lot more TNs and they're great workers too. It's just, you know, you, you learn a little different, it's a little different path. So um, we went from being heavy J1s to being heavy TNs. The nice thing about the TNs is it's much easier for them. You know, those visas are, are one to three years and they're pretty easy to renew. So that's an advantage is you do the training and um, you can actually keep them. You know? So we, we enjoy that aspect, but, but we missed the enthusiasm and energy of those young J1s. So when you look back on, on everything you've kind of gone through to, to build up a really great team culture around diversity and finding people to come in and replace those who are still doing a great job but have to go back, uh, I think you even mentioned sometimes you get people to come back again, but you have to wait a certain amount of time, correct? Yes. Generally with the J-1 program, not always, but generally they have to wait two years. They have to be back in their own their home country for two years before they can return to the U.S. And then they have to come up with a new thing that they're hoping to learn, right? Yes. So when you look at all of the years you have worked with multicultural individuals coming in and out uh, and replacing them and, and going through that process, do you have people that ever come back again? And how do they, how are they able to do that? So that with the J1s, um, it, generally they have to be out for two years, but not always. It depends on whether they're still in school, out of school. And usually, you know, the ones that have been here that we really enjoy, we'll tell them, you know, if you get a chance to come back, we'd love to have you come back. And then I'll, I'll get messages all the time from past trainees. When can I come back? When can I come back? And I just tell them you need to contact the agency, contact in your country, find out when, you know, how long you have to stay out. Um, let me know. But usually it's, it's two years. And right now we have, um, three that are back um, the J ones that we've been able to all of a sudden start bringing back after the J one program was opened back up are actually um, young men other than this Jamaican that we had had here in the past. And of course our production managers really like that because they are pretty much trained in. They just need a little bit of, you know, readjusting and learning our new sites and, and they're, you know, they can, go full speed ahead and I don't have to get them a social security card and I don't have to get them their driver's license. So it's a lot easier on me and a lot easier on, on the training, but we do still like to have that opportunity to bring in some new people and still do the, the introduction to the culture and, and the industry and, 
and just enjoy, you know, broadening our, our, what would you say, worldwide family? Yeah. Yeah. So when you look back on everything, what were some fun and not so fun lessons learned along the way? Fun. It's just, you know, I've just had such a great experience with getting to know these, these young people and learning about the different cultures because I, you know, I love to travel, but I also can kind of travel vicariously through them and learning about their countries and their families and, and what the um, obstacles are for them in their country. It's just amazing what some of these uh, people come from, you know, that's, I know like the Philippines, they can make more in one week here than they can in two months, you know, in their country. So just learning some of those kind of things, is just pretty amazing. The friendships, um, have an opportunity to, you know, in the future, probably to travel and visit some of them. Um, all of those things are, are great. And anyway, just dealing with the fact that, you know, with, the, they show up every day. I have to, I have to tell them you can't work so many hours. It's not a problem with, you know, no shows and calling in sick. And yeah, so that's a ton of fun. The, the hard things it tend to be more when there's issues in the houses and I tell them, you know, you're all adults. If you have a problem, um, I expect you to sit down and try and work it out yourselves. Um, if you can't, then come to me and I'll see what I can do to intervene. But those, those are the hardest problems. Um, it's just, you know, and that's just, you put different cultures and people together in a house and, and hope that they find a, some friendships and figure out a way to get along. It's tough when you got to live together and work together. It's kind of like working side by side with your spouse, you know, live together and work together. So you got to figure it out. So you don't bring it back home. It actually, it actually sounds like the beginnings of a pretty interesting reality TV show. Yeah. Oh yeah. I hadn't thought of that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you guys, yeah, you guys, you guys got the seasons down. I've never seen a pig one yet and they do it all with all the other animals. So never know. (laughs) <laughs> what uh thought. what what golden nugget would you have for listeners as we wrap things up where something you've learned in your life or a saying a quote a mantra that you'd like to share back with everyone um you know i had something in my head for this and forewarned me and now it's it's totally like falling out but um i would just say you know always be open to new experiences um that's kind of how i've lived my life, even though, you know, I live in a, in a rural, pretty conservative area where, you know, you have a lot of people that have never left the state, but just open to new experiences, uh, new adventures. And I, like I always told my kids, you know, never stop networking, never stop talking to people. Um, that's, that's where you really, really learn is by your interactions with people. Sometimes all it takes is a little push too, right? Yes. Yes. But Hey, we thank you so much for joining us on the popular pig podcast. Diane, you've been a great guest and you've shared so much knowledge of all the experiences that you've been through and the things you've learned. Um, thanks. Thanks from all of us for, for joining us today. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you.